In the fire service, there is an ocean of acronyms out there. CAFs, ALS, AAR, FMP, SOP, ETA, you get the idea. One of the most recent ones to emerge is SLICERS. In today's episode, I'll be focusing on this latest acronym, what it means, and why we should think about adding it to our ever-growing repertoire. If you're unfamiliar with SLICERS, don't feel guilty about it. Not all organizations incorporate this specific methodology. However, if after listening to this episode, you find yourself wanting to incorporate it into how you do things, I'll provide a way to acquire a sample drill that you can review with your crew and then try out for yourselves. You are a firefighter and an EMS professional. You are a part of a worldwide brotherhood of dedicated servants and you put your life on the line every day for others. Because of that, you deserve better. We are often our own worst enemies and it's time to own it. Let's work to improve and change the status quo. That change starts with us, right here, right now. In every situation we're faced with, as we see a need, we own it and we act. Be the ideal firefighter you would want on your crew. Be ignited. Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Rodriguez and I'm the founder of Ignited and your host for the Ignited Firefighter Podcast. The Ignited Movement is a brotherhood of firefighters who challenge the status quo through a forum dedicated to self-improvement and accountability. In each of these episodes, we discuss a myriad of different things challenging the fire service today, from leadership and tactics to how to improve ourselves physically as well as mentally. We aim to civilize the mind but make savage the body. And even though the focus is on the fire service, topics and principles we discuss can be applied by professionals everywhere. That being said, let's light the spark. If you're like me, then you appreciate an opportunity to learn something new, especially when it comes to your profession. Organizations such as the National Institute for Standards and Technology, or NIST, right, another acronym, and Underwriters Laboratory, UL, are spending millions of dollars in producing reports based on scientific analysis of fire and structural firefighting. And thank goodness they are, right, because we don't have that kind of money on the organizational level. This is amazing for us in the field, and it helps us in all kinds of ways. However, the research can sometimes be slow to reach the fire ground, and even slower when making their way into our organizational SOPs. As we all know, there are two things firefighters hate, change and the way things are. So, you can imagine how difficult it is to incorporate changes within the fire service as a whole, let alone our respective organizations. So when the International Society of Fire Service Instructors, ISFSI, published a position statement calling for radical change, it wasn't met with a particularly warm reception. This was a call to action, coming from research-based intelligence into fire service training and operations. The statement put out by the ISFSI encourages fire departments to, quote, adjust their tactical plans and training programs to incorporate NIST and UL research into their emergency response operations, end quote. With that in mind, I'd like to make an attempt to translate their findings and this new acronym into actionable steps for you and your fire organization. 
So let's start out by talking about the basics. At the heart of this new SLICERS acronym is a hope for consideration of the importance of an awareness of flow path and cooling during fire attacks. Breaking down the acronym looks like this. Size up all scenes. Locate the fire. Identify and control the flow path, if possible. Cool the heated space from a safe location. Extinguish the fire and then perform rescue and salvage operations. And those last two, rescue and salvage, are actions of opportunity that can occur at any time, any time during the fire scene. Before we unpack each of these, here's a small history lesson on how research has driven changes in the past. Oftentimes, new research and innovation on methods feels like an attack on our traditions and our simple understanding of putting water on the fire. We as professionals need to understand that research isn't an argument for how we've been doing things wrong. It's not an attack. Our tactics and strategies aren't suddenly obsolete based on this new information. And even though we may need to assess how we do things and may wind up making adaptations, we should keep doing the things that work, discard those things that don't, and modify the things that need to be adjusted. A sad testament to the need for review of research and adaptation to new practices is the 2001 death of Phoenix Fire Department firefighter Brett Tarver. The extensive research published by the Phoenix Fire Department led to the conclusion that a passive rapid intervention team, or RIT, needed to evolve into a much more proactive RIT. This made significant changes to the minimal requirement for a rapid intervention team from being a two-person team to a four-person team that's geared up and ready to be deployed at any given moment. Hopefully, today we embrace this new shift in paradigm because it's only benefiting us as firefighters. It raises the standard for how we support and stand at the ready for each other on any fireground situation. This is a shining example of how research can and should translate into improved firefighting operations. Based on the research from NIST and UL, modifications in how we approach tactics and strategy must be looked at and possibly modified. Adapt or die, right? The basics will still stay the same. We still locate, confine, and extinguish fires. However, a lot of us have been taught to vent and vent often when research now shows that we need to have strict control on our ventilation tactics and sometimes not ventilating is the answer. Those who came long before us talked about controlling the draft in order to control a fire. With our advancements in PPE and SCBA, we can aggressively engage an interior attack at the seat of the fire. Most of us going through our Firefighter 1 and 2 courses learned about REC EOVS. On every fire ground, the following need to happen in this order. Rescue, exposure, confinement, extinguish, and overhaul. Ventilation and salvage are secondary to all that. We now know, based on research, that that's not necessarily the particular order of things that we need to do since our firegrounds are so dynamic and continually evolving. We have to be in a mindset that allows for observation and adaptation. We can't pigeonhole ourselves into a box for the sake of checking boxes. I've witnessed company officers call the world to a simple room and contents fire, and in defense of this action, uh, they said things like, well, it's better to have everyone coming than no one. 
And my response to that was, why are those our only two options? Why can't we mitigate the situation appropriately? I mean, isn't that why we as humans are employed on fire trucks? So let's talk a little bit about how Slicers applies to engine and truck companies. Currently, I'm working on an engine. I worked on a ladder for several years. But uh, the different approach on your different roles has a little bit of an effect when it comes to Slicers. Trying to take a practical approach in how to apply this to your current operations can be a convoluted mess. I'd recommend going through what you're currently doing and then see where and how Slicers fits in. You can Google, um, I think if you just Google Slicers, you can see, or Slicers operations, you can see uh, a graph, and I'll, I'll look into that and then I'll uh, share a link to that in the show notes. Um, but anyway, you can see a graph of how it overlays with your current operations. And that's kind of what I'm planning on doing right now verbally with you, is uh, talking about how this how slicers overlaps with your current operations. So here we go. Thinking first about the roles and responsibilities of the engine and ladder companies, we know that engine company responsibilities are to locate, confine, and extinguish the fire. And ladder companies or truck companies uh, responsibilities consist of things like entry, utilities, ventilation, and egress. Now, they aren't limited to these things, but based on principle, this is what we typically do on these respective trucks. The newest addition that Slicers offers that isn't present in the legacy protocols is the size up. This means you consciously take a minute and assess what's happening, report the current conditions, take command, and provide a plan of action. This is more likely already in your SOPs and most likely you're doing this already. But if you're not, I suggest you add this element to your lineup. Conducting a systematic size up every time you're on a fire rather than waiting for the big one keeps you consistent and will help you perform that much better. I couldn't imagine being on a structure fire, pulling up on scene and not doing a size up. I couldn't imagine just pulling up leading out with a line and going in and attacking without any real plan. It just makes sense, right? A complete size up whenever possible allows us to determine and communicate the location of the fire in most cases. At the very least, it'll give us a better idea where the most involved area is. And remember that a 360 is best when performing your size up. So when you give your on-scene report, it could sound something like this. Engine 265 to alarm on channel 2. Engine 265 is on scene of a single-story residential structure with smoke and flames showing from the delta side with exposures. Engine 265 currently does not have a water supply established and will assume command and stretch a line to delta and make a transitional attack. Accountability will be located at engine 265. 360 report to follow. Now that 360 report means you're getting out, you're going mobile, you're taking a look around the fire scene as best you can. And, and sometimes you can't make your way around the whole scene. I get it. But do your best to put eyes on the structure, put eyes on the scene, and absorb as much information as you can to formulate a proper and appropriate response. Once the company officer has had time to get out and get that 360 of the situation, they can communicate any progress and hazards that they see, making everyone on the fire ground aware of their findings. That may sound something like this. Command to alarm. 360 is complete 
and we have confirmed that involvement appears to be isolated to the delta side of the structure. Transitional attack is complete, and Engine 265 will be redeploying to Alpha and make entry for search and rescue and fire control. One of the newest additions to the repertoire is identifying the flow path. This is the most important keystone behind thinking firefighting. It could be argued that this is an extension of confining the fire. And there's much more to it than that, though. We've got to be able to recognize the flow path and be conscious about discussing it at every fire, or at least during the AAR, the After Action Review. By making this a regular part of your post-incident analysis, you can keep it on the forefront of the minds of your firefighters. One cool thing about being conscious about flow path recognition is that there are some online resources for training in a virtual environment. If you go to www.fire.nist.gov, you can look at videos of several fire incidents and the associated flow paths. It's good training to do on your own and with your crew. I'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes as well so you don't feel like you have to scramble to write that down or try to remember it. Again, it's www.fire.nist.gov. Look at the fire models on the NIST site and pay attention to the fire growth and how it travels. Pay particular attention to how fast the conditions change when air is introduced. Try to predict the flow path and fire spread. Whether you're on YouTube or looking at videos of your own organization's training library, each fire can reveal aspects of flow path. Being able to identify flow path can make you become the fire whisperer of sorts of your crew and organization. Once you are able to identify flow path, you can pick out ways to control it and therefore operate in harmony with it and not continually fight it. I'd mentioned transitional attack a few moments ago in the on-scene report that I gave. What that means is that you immediately cool the fire from whatever the safest and earliest position is you can hit it from. For example, if you pull up on scene and you see flames spewing out of a front window of the structure, hit it there where you see it. What you're doing is immediately cooling conditions and, quote, resetting the fire. You're getting a moderate knockdown, if not a complete knockdown. And all that does is make conditions better for you and anyone who may be trapped inside. The ultimate goal and result is to extinguish the fire. After you've been able to get fire control or fire knockdown, you can think about rescue and salvage operations. And like I said, don't freak out at me yet. I'm not saying that if you see someone you can grab from a window or immediately remove from a dangerous situation that you should wait until you have fire control or knockdown. I'm not saying that. Use your heads, right? That's why we as humans are employed as firefighters to make that call. The fire ground is dynamic and always evolving. The SLICERS acronym is merely a way for you to systematize your approach so you are consistent in your tactics and strategy. Keep in mind that the rescue and salvage operations are things that you should be doing when the opportunity presents itself. Those are actions of opportunity, and they don't necessarily have to wait until the end. It just helps the acronym be a little bit more memorable. By building on the success of the Legacy Fireground Protocols, we can help progress the evolution of fireground training. Like I said earlier, the basics remain the same. Locate, confine, extinguish. However, since the materials that we're seeing used in homes is changing and they're becoming much more combustible and flammable, extremely reducing the time we have to respond, it's important that we be just as dynamic as the fires that we fight. 
Perform a size up on every scene and set yourselves up for success. Do your best to do a 360 and locate the fire early in order to help you identify possible flow paths and use them in your favor. Practice in the firehouse, practice online, or on the training ground. Make it a part of your repertoire. Remember, this is your profession. And if you already didn't know, I've got t-shirts for sale. I reached out to another local Arizona company and we put together a design that I think looks amazing. I'm a little biased, but the shirts are really comfortable. Actually, they're uh, next level gear. So go to the shop at www.ignitedff.com or you can click the link in the Facebook or Instagram bios. I'll also put a link in the show notes. Shirts are $28 and they're limited supply. I think I've only got XLs left. These things went like hotcakes. So get yours ordered soon. Like I said, they're all next level shirts, so they fit and they breathe amazingly. As always, thank you for listening to the Ignited Firefighter Podcast. Please subscribe and share these episodes with someone you think should hear them. As we delve deeper into these topics, we can come together and help each other learn and grow. Remember, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IgnitedFF. Please feel free to shoot me a message and ask me questions or send me feedback. I'm building this community for us. And one way you can become more directly involved is to join the Ignited Firefighter Podcast community on Facebook. This is where we as firefighters and EMS professionals can come together and dive deeper into the topics discussed on the show. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, if you see a need, own it and take action. Be the ideal firefighter you would want on your crew. Be Ignited. Ignited.